This is Inside the Writer's Head with Emma Carlson Byrne, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2018 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Emma Carlson Byrne. Hello all, I'm Emma Carlson Byrne, this year's Public Library Writer-in-Residence and host of Inside the Writer's Head. My guest this month is humor writer and freelance editor Chuck Sambuccino. Chuck is a former longtime editor for Writer's Digest Books, an imprint of F&W Media here in Cincinnati, and there he edited The Guide to Literary Agents and the Children's Writers and Illustrators Market for about a decade. Also for 10 years, he edited The Guide to Literary, Literary Agents blog, one of the biggest blogs in publishing at the time. Nowadays, Chuck is a full-time freelancer and instructor. He often advises writers on their writer platforms. He critiques query letters and proposals and manuscripts, and he speaks and teaches at conferences and workshops around the country. He's also a humor writer, and he has three books out, which we'll talk about a little later. Chuck, thanks for coming in to talk with me today. Thank you, Emma. So you wear a lot of hats. You're an editor. You're a writer. You were in-house at a publishing company for many years. You're also a freelancer now. So give us a little background on yourself personally. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in publishing, how you made your way to Writer's Digest Books, and then if you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the present, that would be great. Okay. Well, my... uh career and experience in the publishing industry, like you said, kind of goes all over the place. So I'll try to make this short because ultimately I'd love to get around to just teaching people how to get published. So I'll basically, I was educated at Xavier University in Cincinnati, was very involved in the creative writing scene there and also the newspaper. Then when I left Xavier, I realized I didn't want to go into my major, which was public relations. So I just took a low-level job at a local Cincinnati weekly newspaper. And I also started to write for local Cincinnati magazines, such as Cincinnati Magazine and Cincinnati Men's Magazine and so forth and so on. And I was able to use those credentials and the journalism background to get a job at Writer's Digest about two years out of college. And then I worked for them for about 12 years nonstop. My job at Writer's Digest really ran the gamut as to what I did in at any given time, I edited the Guide to Literary Agents. I was responsible for teaching about 10 writers' conferences a year. I think I've taught at about 175 so far in my career. I edited the Children's Writers and Illustrators Market. I worked for the magazine. I helped run the online education, the webinars, the boot camps. Also did their social media, Twitter and Facebook, and trying to build that up and market everything that was going on. So at Writer's Digest, I did everything, everything that books, magazines, online education, social media. And now, now that I've left Writer's Digest, I pretty much do the same thing, but for myself. I'm a freelance editor, which means that I edit people's books, their novels, their book proposals, their queries, their synopses, making them better so they can try to get agents and book deals. And I also teach around the country on the same thing, which is how to get published. So I'm still in the writing instruction field. I'm just doing it now on my own, which is great. Well, that is awesome, Chuck. You are definitely a wealth of knowledge and a fount of knowledge. So um, let's pick your brain a little bit. Now, we've got you here. Um, Let's try to glean some of that knowledge that you've gained in all of these years of editing and working with writers and putting together writer's guides. Let's talk about the most charged subject 
of all I have found, which is how to get a literary agent. And let me just say for a little background that a couple of weeks ago, I taught a writing workshop here at the library as part of the Writer in Residence program. And we discussed publishing. And there was a lot of anxiety in the room about publishing. And I would say 80% of the anxiety was aimed at one subject, which is how to get a freaking literary agent. Please, God. So tell us, tell us, give, I, and I know you have taught seminars and there are entire books written on this subject. Yeah, and I wrote whole a book on this, yeah. Online courses, and I am asking you just to sort of discuss it, but give us the high points. What advice would you give writers who are trying to get an agent? And you can give us a little background on trying to get an agent as, at the same time, which would be great. Well, this is a big subject here. I mean, but basically, the first thing is, do you even need an agent? And and uh, let's just cut to the chase. Most of the people listening to this are writing memoir or they're writing fiction, any realm of fiction. And the answer generally is yes, because if you don't, agents are the ones who have access to the biggest publishers who can get you the, the best deals that you're looking for. So if you don't have a literary agent, then you're confined to only contacting smaller independent publishers as well as some medium-sized publishers, but the rest of the medium-sized publishers as well as all the large publishers you don't have access to. And can it, you give us a couple of names of the largest publishers? Oh, we're just talking about the stuff you'd recognize like Viking, uh, Penguin, uh, Random House, like Disney Hyperion, Knopf, things of this nature, anything that is part of these big five publishing houses and all the little tendril imprints, anything like that, they don't take unagented submissions. So the answer is yes, you need an agent. So if you're out there thinking, hmm, I think I need an agent for my book. How do I get an agent? The short answer is you're First of all, you're on the right path. This is a good, valid concern, and you're on the right path. But the keys to getting an agent really aren't that – I mean, they're difficult, but they're not really complicated. You have to write a good book. Then after that, you have to understand how to submit your work properly to agents to be considered. That means having a good query letter, which is like a cover letter. And after that, the biggest part of it is just educating yourself. There's lots of information out there in book form, as magazine form, as well as internet blog post form on what agents are accepting clients now. Who's open to queries? Well, what is a query letter? How do you write a cover letter? Okay, how do you write a good manuscript? That's the toughest thing of all. How do you write a good novel? How do you start a novel correctly? How do you make sure that you're cutting parts that need to be cut so it doesn't have any fat on it? How do you make sure that you've got the proper word count for a debut novel? How do you find people to help you critique it? These are the things that you need to look online and educate yourself about. People who exist in a vacuum just write a book. They don't even revise it, and then they go to submit it to agents, but it's not that good. It doesn't have good voice, good flair, good punch. I mean, there's problems in it, and then agents just reject it. Okay, so it sounds like what you're saying is that a lot of writers do need an agent, but some writers may not need an agent. So tell us a little bit about who doesn't need an agent and may think that they do. This just basically applies to nonfiction. If you're writing nonfiction that's not memoir, I mean like a book about the Cincinnati Reds or a book about gardening, a book about how to be a good parent, stuff like that. If you're writing something that is small in size and small in scope, if it has limitations, you typically don't need an agent. For example, if you wanted to write a history about the first peoples, Native American tribes of the Cincinnati greater area, you know, before uh, European settlements, think about something like that, specialized. Well, look at a book like that and you think, how many copies is this book really going to sell? A few thousand. How much money are you going to make off the book? 
a few thousand. You don't need an agent for that. You it, you can go straight to a publisher. You'll get a nice little deal. You have a beautiful little book. Even if you went to an agent for something like that, they would say, okay, well, this book is so small and specialized and uh, limited that I'm not going to make good money because they make 15% of what you make. So they're not, they're not going to make their money back with the 15%. Some of my writing books were actually sold without an agent. They were small how-to writing books, and so I didn't need an agent. It was a small deal. It was an easy deal to negotiate. There wasn't a lot of money changing hands. But the bigger humor books I wrote for that we sold to imprints of uh, we'll run, we sold one to Running Press, which is part of Perseus, and we sold two to 10-Speed Press, or part of Random House. These were bigger publishers, so my agent was involved in those deals. So some of my deals were unagented. Some of them absolutely were, depending on the size of the book and the size of the publisher. So, um, you know, you and I are in this business, Chuck, but a lot of people who aren't in the business um, feel pretty baffled by how you find an agent. Um, the first, well, let's break it down in some steps. Bit, please. The first thing you need to do is if you're writing a memoir or a novel, you need to finish it. That's the first thing you need to do. So let's not even talk about do finding you an always agent. have to finish your manuscript? Yes. Can't I just write like the first half and like say, call it done, and then just write like a little description of the rest of it? No. And, and, and I, like, I like to try to be funny, but most, most, people, do, <laughs> most people do understand this step. Thank they you. realize you, you need, you need a, a completed finished manuscript. Remember, all, manuscript just means a novel or a memoir that is not published. That's what, is what it means. So so you need your manuscript, but that's just the first step. you got to set it down. You step aside for three days or three months, however long it takes to step back to it with fresh eyes and renewed vigor, and then you edit it. You self-edit it. You try to make it better. You cut parts that don't work. You look at four sentences and think, can I make these four sentences into one? You look for point of view issues tense issues. You read books on self-editing and revision and articles on self-editing and revision, which are all over the place. You could probably search the Hamilton County Library and find a few going around in the system here. You can find lots of articles on on this online. You educate yourself on what it means to overhaul or revise your work to make it better. And you do that and you keep repeating that process until you've gone as far as you can go. Then you need outside critical analysis on the work. That can either mean you're writing peers and friends who can edit your work for you. You know, for example, hey, if I give you my novel and you give me thoughts on it, I will give you my thoughts on your novel later when you're ready. It's a swip swap. It's a trade. That's something you can do. People who don't have those kinds of connections with these peers who are smart, critical, and honest, they turn to people like me, who is a freelance editor, somebody who's been in the publishing industry, who critiques novels and makes them better in preparation for them to be submitted for consideration to an agent. Now, you continue that process until you feel like your work is ready. You get the outside critical analysis, and then you research agents online using a mix of paid resources, such as the book I used to edit, which is the Guide to Literary Agents. Also, Publishers Marketplace is a very good site online. There's a variety of free online uh, online resources, such as QueryTracker.com. And also, probably one of the best things you could do is just be on Twitter. And you don't need to say anything when you're on Twitter, but you can follow agents and you will find that all the agents everywhere have descended upon Twitter and they're all there. So you were going to find agents you didn't know existed, an agent that just got promoted to agent yesterday, and you'll be able to build your list through these means. And once you have a manuscript that's ready and battle-tested and you've researched agents, you can submit your work. That's the basic gist. And if I'm not being clear about it, Emma, something, ask me. You're being extremely clear, Chuck. Um, I want to ask you a couple of aspects about a couple of aspects of what you were just talking about. So, for instance, you mentioned that on Twitter you're going to find agents – 
I want you to tell us what they're saying. Are they saying like, I like granola in the morning? Or are they saying, please send me your manuscripts? And you also talked about new agents who might be trying to build their list. Tell us why new what people are saying on Twitter and why new agents might be a good direction for people who are trying to get their manuscript into the hands of an agency. I'm, I'm going to forget some of those questions. Let me start That's at the beginning fine. here. Like when I speak, speak at writers conferences all over the country, the I always ask people to say, are you on Twitter or not? And it's always 50% or more are not on Twitter. And I think people don't join Twitter because they don't understand how to use it. They just say, what do I say? I don't get it. What am I supposed to do? What do I talk about? And the answer is, if you don't have anything to talk about, don't talk about anything at all. Literally, don't say anything. Sign up, start an account, start to search literary agents on Twitter, find them, follow them. Quickly, Twitter will figure out what you're doing, and they will give you other publishing professionals and agents and news sources to follow in the publishing industry you follow them and you essentially create a newspaper page. When the Cincinnati Enquirer newspaper comes to you in the morning, does it ask you to talk back to it? When you watch the local morning news, does the local morning news ask you to talk back to it? No. And Twitter fundamentally is just a media source. It is an information source. It is a newspaper that you create. You do not have to engage. You do not have to talk back. Just just absorb the information and take in the information. So what are agents talking about on Twitter? Well, they're sharing details about their life. They're sharing new books that came out that they represented. And, yeah, they're sharing a lot that can help you. They'll share helpful articles that they wrote, that they found online. They will tell you things like when an agent has a free contest coming up next Monday for writers of young adult, where do they say that and promote it? Twitter. When an agent is going to be at a conference in Columbus or Key West, where do they say that and promote it? Twitter. When an agent has a new co-agent. A new agent at their agency who just joined up this week actively looking for clients. Query this agent now. Where do they say and promote that? On Twitter. So if you're not on Twitter, you're missing out on all this information. And once again, what's stopping people is just the fact that they think they're going to have to invest a lot of time into writing on Twitter and engaging with people. But you don't need to do that unless you want to. And also on Twitter, you can pitch agents directly on pitch party days. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. There's information about that online. But some days... Agents invite you to pitch them directly on Twitter, and, and they can engage you and possibly find you that way. So, and a second question in terms of new agents. New agents are, are not – I get this question a lot because people are almost wary about new agents, but most new agents aren't really new at all. The two most common ways that people become literary agents is, number one, they're an editor at a publishing house, and they don't want to do that anymore, so they move over to being an agent. You see this all the time. So they're very experienced in the publishing industry. They understand contracts. They know who the people are. They know who's seeking what. The second way you see it is that someone comes onto an agency as an intern or apprentice or assistant. They do that for one, two, three years, and then they get promoted to a full-fledged acquiring literary agent. So these people, they're new, but they aren't new. And most of the time, they're an established agency. So if you've got an agency with four agents, they take on a fifth agent, that new agent is part of the larger agency, and they're not new at all. They have the contacts and the database and the power of all the agents that they work with. Well, that is extremely helpful, Chuck. Um, you are definitely – I sort of wish we could just like take your brain, turn it inside out – Download all the information about agents and then, you know, like print it out somewhere and like tape it on a door so everyone can look at it. Um, so tell us, uh, let's let's get a little bit specific and a little bit fun. What is the 
biggest misconception that people have about the writer-agent relationship. What does an agent do for you? But more importantly, what do they not do for you? That's that's actually a really good question. This is a question I I also get a lot. Yeah, me too. I would have to say off the top of my head, it's the misconception that an agent is obligated to edit your book for you. So here's the deal. Agents are looking for work that is perfect. Oftentimes, perfect work doesn't come across their desk. But if it's near perfect, you know, they'll say this is amazing. We can work with this. What you what you hear new writers and aspiring writers asking is, okay, I'm working on my book. If I send it to an agent, will they help me edit it? Will they help me, quote unquote, get it into shape? And the answer is no. There are some agents that are hands-on, editorial agents, you would call them, that are very hands-on. But a lot of agents aren't like that. That's not their roles to be an editor. Their role is to take something great and to shepherd it into the hands of big editors at publishing houses who want to publish it. So what this comes down to is understanding your work needs to be the best that it can possibly be before you submit it to an agent. Because if it is anything less than great, it's going to get rejected. Okay, take your time on it because it doesn't matter if it takes you one month to write a novel or it takes you four years to write a novel. If it's anything better than great, agents will reject it. Um, And what about agents as publicists? Sometimes I think people might think that agents are also also your publicists. What? They're not your publicists? No, it's it's not even close. Oh, you're kidding. No. I mean, no, agents, agents don't even edit that much. Some do, some don't, but you can't count on it. I think counting on it is the biggest misconception, but it's not an agent stop at all to help you publicize their work. Granted, some might have ideas and they'll tell you, why not try this? Here's an idea I had. Would you ever consider doing this on Goodreads or Twitter or Instagram or public speaking or whatever? But no, not, not at all. And it depends. If it's a nonfiction book, like I write, most of the publicity and the promotion falls upon the shoulders of the author, which is me. I have to do most of that stuff. Some help is supplemented by the publishing house when the book comes out for a little while. If it's a novel, you are expected to promote your work and be on social media. But ultimately, what what drives novels is word of mouth. Word of mouth, which is hard for you to control. But you can control small sales, contacting the local media, contacting um, different blogs, uh, being on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and just mentioning your book when you can. So you are always expected to publicize or promote your own work. But there are different levels of what is considered necessary and mandatory. Okay, that's great, Chuck. Um, all right, let's let's kind of um, zero in on the query letter itself, because the query letter... Um, in my experience, is the part that causes um, authors the greatest worry. Um, It seems to be kind of magic. If the query letter is good enough, you're in. If the query letter is not good, you're out. And like you sure as hell better get it right. Um, What is the biggest mistake that people make when composing and sending their query letters? And obviously this relates to memoir and to fiction. Yes. Because in memoir, fiction, query letters, they're basically the same, except in fiction, instead of talking about your main character and the trials and the conflicts and the problems in a memoir, you are the main character. So it's the same thing. The format and the bones of what a query should look like are the same for the two. The biggest problem you typically see in query letters is lack of specificity and lack of anything unique. Like, for example, if you want to write a mystery novel or a romance novel, a science fiction novel, a fantasy novel, so many people have done this before you. Okay, your fantasy novel's got a prophecy. Okay, you're the millionth person to do that. Your mystery, everything begins with a death, and you have a private eye main character, something like that. Romance novel is typically a woman protagonist trying to find love. Like, we've all seen these things a million times before, but what makes your work unique? What makes it special? What makes it different? And 
you could take chances and try to show what makes your work unique. And it's a lack of details because in the end, you're trying with this query letter, which is very limited, it's just one page total. And when you're talking about the plot of your book, it really should be limited to 10 sentences or fewer. That's the pitch itself. Specifics bring a pitch to light. For example, you could start your pitch out by saying, okay, I want to introduce my main character and the, and the immediate problem that he has in the book. So you could say, Billy Jenkins quit his job today. Now, when I said that, when I said Billy Jenkins quit his job today, listening to in this podcast, what visual image appeared in your mind when I said it? And I'm guessing that for some of you, maybe you pictured some sort of man in a generic office setting, but I'm guessing the majority of you, no clear visual image popped into your mind and you were simply waiting for the next sentence. That's bad. But what if I started my query letter by saying the same thing, but trying to be specific and use voice and flair like this? After serving his 1,000th Big Mac this week, 17-year-old Billy Jenkins decides to quit his job in style by throwing special sauce out the drive through window at a rude customer and then walking out the front door with his middle fingers high in the air. Now, when I said that, did a visual image pop into your mind? And the answer is, of course. So what's the difference between A and B? It's all specifics. Not Billy Jenkins quit his job today. I told you exactly about how Billy Jenkins quit his job. Now you know his age, where he quit, like one thing he did that was humorous, and also that he's got a lot of moxie and gusto, and he's also kind of got the, you know, screw the world attitude that's going on. Specifics bring it to life. What are the specifics of your story? Don't have any language in a query letter that could be interpreted in multiple ways, such as the two develop a relationship. The couple develops a relationship. What the hell does that mean? What kind of relationship is it? Is it an affair? Is it an emotional affair? Do, is it not sexual at all just because they, they need each other in, in this time? You know, like these things matter. Specifics matter, and you got to keep in mind that an agent is reading 20 or 30 queries a day all year long, and if your th- query is in any way generic, you're going to get rejected. Are you going to get more than a paragraph's worth of read from the agent if that first paragraph is not... Um, incredibly specific? Are you going to even get your entire letter, letter read? I think, I think that a letter is so short that if the first sentence or two are kind of generic, they might skip forward a little bit. And the thing is, is that more and more agents, as you, you saw, I saw the last five years, seven years, basically they're starting to realize that the query letter is helpful, but it's not the end-all be-all. The, the, the agents who put a lot into the query letter, I feel like, are the ones who have an established big kind of a stable of clients. They're not actively looking for clients. These might be your more experienced agents here. And they're going to put a lot of stock in the query letter. But a lot of the agents who are actively acquiring put some stock into the query letter. But they that's why they always ask you to paste first pages into your, in, in, a, in a lot of the submissions. Paste your first five pages. Okay, paste the first chapter into the manuscript. Paste the first 30 pages. Because if the query letter is so-so or generic, they will just skip to the first page or two and see if it grabs them by the throat, see if it grips them, see if it's excellent writing. So the first, if, they, you, if you said to me, well, where are people going wrong with the query letter submission? I'd say, number one, is, is they're not taking enough chances with their story and their query. There's a lack of specifics, a lack of what makes it unique, a lack of what makes it compelling and different and interesting. And number two would be the fact that you don't, don't just have to worry about your query. You have to worry about your first pages perhaps even more because lots of lots of people have said, oh, my query letter stunk, but I still got an agent. That's because at some point the agent just skips past your query letter to the first pages and are they grabbed or not? I mean, you could not even have a query letter and say, see below for my first page. And if the first page, you're not recommending you do that. But the point was, if you had a dynamite first page, that will be enough. I talked to the, uh, out of all the people who have thanked me over the years for helping, 
them get published, saying, oh, I read your blog, I edited my work, I read this, or I saw you speak. The biggest one is uh, Veronica Roth, who wrote Divergent. And her agent actually came to me and said that when she, when, when Veronica Roth went to a conference in Chicago, I believe it was Chicago, and met her agent, who's Joanna Volpe, Joanna Volpe said that her career letter pitch was horrible. It was horrible. But the writing when the story started was good. So I guess my second point, which is just make your, your, your manuscript good. Make sure that you put a lot of time into your first page, your first chapter. I've always felt like if your manuscript is good enough, nothing will stop it from being published. If it is that good, any mistake you make, you people will still publish your manuscript. You've got to have the good work. I don't know if it's an absolute, but it's pretty close. <laughs> it's, it's pretty close. Evidently, over time, inevitably, you will get to someone who reads the manuscript pages. And at that point, if it's really excellent, somebody ideally will fall in love with it. So, Chuck, you also advise writers on creating their platform. I have no idea what that is. So tell us what the heck a writer platform is and why do writers need one? Platform is just a word used in the publishing industry, which means your ability to market yourself and your work. This is everything possible that you could do to market yourself and your work. It could be public speaking, having a mailing list, a newsletter, a blog, a website, all forms of social media from videos on YouTube to pictures on Instagram to Facebook to Twitter to Pinterest to LinkedIn to Goodreads to anything. It's all the means that you have to promote yourself and your work, including Emma's podcast right now. I mean, Emma has a podcast. That is part of her platform. That's the way she promotes herself and her book. That's the way people who know who Emma is. What has Emma written? Where can I buy that? Any way that you could spread the word, that is what platform is. Now, like we were talking about earlier, platform is very, very important for people who want to sell nonfiction works to traditional publishers like Penguin Random House or something like that, people like me. It's only of moderate importance to aspiring novelists. I'd, I'd recommend people be online, be trying to engage in their communities, slowly building their connections and their followers and their subscriptions. But ultimately, if you are an aspiring novelist or an aspiring memoirist, but more so a novelist, just write a good book. That is your top priority in the morning. And it's the first thing, first, second, and third thing you should try to do every day. After that, if you want to contribute to your career, but the brain synapses just aren't firing and you can't write your fiction, get involved in social media. Write a blog article for somebody. Try to get some new followers on some of your channels and, and contribute to your career in that way. So, Chuck, you are an author yourself. You've written three books. They are sort of satire and humor, all of them. One's more political. Um, one has been optioned by Sony. Anything happening with that? Well, real quick, I want to go back just a second, then I'll get to Emma's question. We're talking a lot about how to get an agent. I wrote a book called Get a Literary Agent. It came out in 2015. And Emma was saying, I wish there was a way to like dump your brain into a book. It's like I tried to do that. So if you want to get an agent and you want to know everything that I can't fit into this podcast, look for my book called Get a Literary Agent. It came out in 2015 from Writer's Digest Books. Still very up to date and helpful. I also read another book a few years ago called Create Your Writer Platform. So if you're interested more about promoting your work, I can't talk about everything, but seek out my book, Create Your Writer Platform. If you, if you find my name, Chuck Sambuccino, on Amazon, you could search my name. You'll find my page on Amazon. You'll find these books. I'm sorry. Oh, so my, my books. Emma asked about my books. I wrote four books that were writing reference, and I wrote three books to – but all four of my writing reference books were four Writer's Digest books. I kind of just sold them on the side without an agent. Um, all three of my humor books – 
they um, they came out from bigger publishers. So Emma was asking about my most successful humor book, which is called How to Survive a Garden Gnome Attack. There was a humor book came out about eight years ago, and it was optioned for film by Sony Pictures, Sony Animation, uh, for about five years, which was thrilling. Ultimately, the option did expire. So my agents are looking for another production company to option the rights and potentially make a movie out of the book. Will that happen? Will it not happen? I'm not sure. But it was a wild ride. It was all over the news and uh, very, very, very just thrilling. And you've got two more. I have two more humor books. I have one called When Clowns Attack, or Survival Guide, which is just more absurdist kind of parody humor. you got one gnome you know, one book, Gnomes Are Coming For You, one book, Clowns Are Coming For You. The third one, which is a little bit different, which was called Red Dog, Blue Dog, When Pooches Get Political. It's all about dogs and politics, and they're all humor books. But the one far and away that did the best sales-wise was How to Survive a Garden Gnome Attack. So you've got this sort of um, author hat that you wear with your humor books. You've got the teacher hat that you wear with um, instructing and uh, that your uh, writing books kind of fit under that category. And then you also, these days, are a full-time freelance editor and coach. So tell us a little bit about freelance editing in that world, because this is a question that I also get a lot uh, from at Writers' Workshops, is who needs a good freelance editor? How to find a good freelance editor and what a freelance editor will do for you. Just an overview, since this is what you're doing now. When I was working for Writer's Digest, all I was doing all day long was just helping people get an agent and helping people get published. And then when they were published, helping them sell their book. Now I basically do the same thing. I just do it for myself. So instead of, you know, running webinars and boot camps, I I, I teach around the country, and the, well, the biggest thing I do, like Emma said, is I, I freelance critique. So I critique queries, synopses, <laughs> book proposals, and manuscripts, sometimes part of a manuscript, sometimes the whole manuscript. So who needs someone like me? Who needs a freelance editor, what what's called like a developmental editor, or a book doctor, or whatever you want to call us? People who have a novel, they realize it needs improvement, and they don't have a group of, small, of smart, critical, and honest writing peers. That's who comes to me. They come to me and we engage in some kind of deal. Sometimes it's for part of the book. Sometimes it's for the whole book. But they recognize the book needs work. They want to invest in it. And they come to me. Now, how do you find someone like me or make sure that you're finding a ver- just a, a good quality freelance editor? Well, this is a little bit tricky because everybody under the sun claims to be a freelance editor because it's a very desirable job. And they can work any hours and work from anywhere. So... If you're looking for a freelance editor, the first thing I would say is, are you part of a writing group of any kind and can you get a referral? Talk to fellow writers. Excuse me. Who did you work with? Where can I find them online? How much did they charge? How quickly did they get the work? Did they? What was your deal like? Do you feel happy with the deal, that they, with the work and the edits that they provided? Things like this. If you can't, because that is a good way to talk to someone you trust and they can say, yes, I felt like the pricing was fair. I felt like... I got enough for my investment. So from the start, because of course, with a freelance editor, it, it is it is you have to have to pay. The other thing I, I would say is find someone who has success stories. Now, this this listen to this carefully, because it's very easy to get a testimonial. That's easy. Say someone, I go to someone, I say, Hey, Bill, if you, I will edit the first thirty pages of your book for free. In exchange, could you write me up a sweet 
awesome testimonial. Now, Bill will say yes. He'll be like, oh, of course I will. So I'll edit the first 30 pages of Bill's work for free, you know, over the course of a day or something. And then he'll write a testimony. He's like, oh, Chuck is great. He did this. Chuck's super cool. He did my book. He's a great editor. Things like this. But that doesn't mean anything. Anybody can get a testimonial. Those are very easy. Look for success stories. Success stories are Chuck edited my book. Now I have an agent. Chuck edited my book. Now I have a book deal. It's, a, it's very hard to get these. That's why when you come to my freelance editing page on my website, that's all I put down. Is I don't put down stuff like, oh, Chuck edited my work. I really liked what he did. Those are easy. They don't mean anything. But I put down Chuck edited my work and now I have an agent. Now my book is published. Things like this. Look for success stories. Not testimonies, but success stories. And lastly, if you're ever nervous about engaging with an editor for any reason, try to get some sort of test. Some new freelance editors out there will say, oh, I'll critique the first five pages of your work for free. I'll critique the first three pages of your work for free, and you can see that I know what I'm doing. What I do with anybody who's apprehensive or nervous about engaging into a full deal will do 40 pages. You pay me to edit 40 pages. I edit that, and on the strength of that, you decide if you want to move forward with the rest, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages. So it's good because on the strength of those 40 pages, you decide, is Chuck the right editor for me? Am I getting the, the, the edit that I, des I desire and that I want? And also at the same time, it allows me to disengage from the edit if I don't feel any connection with your work. If I don't feel any connection to it and I'm just saying like, listen, this is, I'm not getting into this. I'm not, I'm not engaging with the work. I could say, listen, here's your edit. I hope you like it. But ultimately, I didn't feel a deep connection with the project. I'm not going to move forward with this. Best of luck. Godspeed. So, Chuck, we are almost uh, coming to the end, but tell us where we can find you both online and in person and what you've got coming up on your schedule in terms of your speaking and your teaching. Okay. Well, if anybody's interested in any of this, the first thing that you should do is Google my name, Chuck, like short for Charles and Sam Buccino which probably be on this podcast. And it you will can, be. You find my website, and then it will list all my writers' conferences. In the next year, I expect to be speaking at about 10 places all over the country. And I'm also helping refer agents to conferences all over the country. So I can, if I'm not speaking in Buffalo, New York, or Kansas City, or Austin, Texas, or Los Angeles, I am probably promoting a conference in the area with agents that I have referred there. So over the next year, I'll probably be promoting about 30 conferences around the area. Some I'll be speaking at, a lot I won't, but I can guarantee you that there's going to be good agents there actively seeking clients. I don't promote writers' conferences unless there are agents there seeking clients. So if you want an agent, I can tell you where you can meet them and pitch them in person. And, and also and that on my website, chucksambuccino.com, you can also find my freelance editing details and all the success stories that I've got over the years. And if you ever want, you just reach out to me. My email is right on my website. And you say, Chuck, I'm interested in such and such kind of edit. And I could say, okay, I'm available or I'm too busy. But most of the time I am available. And then I could quote you whatever my current rates are and we can move from there. I'm also hoping to get back into the blogging scene. Me and a few other people uh, are going to start a blog soon called Write, Query, Publish. That's writequerypublish.com. And it's going to be the same thing I was doing all these years, which is just teaching people how to get published, sharing agent news, running contests, query edits, synopses edits, tips, so forth and so on. But that's it. You can find me on Twitter and always engage me whenever you want. Chuck, I am so glad that we could talk today. It was extremely valuable. I think our listeners will find um, all of your knowledge very helpful. So thank you for coming in. Well, thank you, Emma. And just uh, this has been a great experience. 
For the Cincinnati Public Library, I'm writer-in-residence Emma Carlson-Byrne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Okay, that's it. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Emma at various events throughout the year or at open office hours on the third Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. until noon at the Coryville Branch Library. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.